Good morning and greetings in Christ's name to each one here this morning. I want to welcome everyone who's here, a special welcome to our visitors and trust that you can enjoy the time of worship here this morning. Last Sunday, Brother Jay said, uh, he was kind of questioning whether he had a Christmas me message or not. Um, I guess I'm maybe a little bit in the same shoes this morning. I'm not going to call it a Christmas message. Christmas isn't here yet. Um, I'm actually planning to preach the message on December the 24th, I think, Sunday before Christmas. I want to save that for then, but maybe I'd call it a pre-Christmas message. And uh, I will just give it the title, A Meaningful Christmas. And just want to ponder a little as we come into, as we are in the Christmas season and coming up to, to Christmas, considering our activities, our traditions, the things that we do year after year, and hopefully to help us consider in our own families if they are honoring to Christ. Does it matter? Maybe I should ask. Does it matter how we celebrate Christmas? Another uh, question I put down here is, should we celebrate Christmas? And there's, there's varying opinions on that. I'm not sure how varying right here this morning. And I looked up some Christmas traditions and There are some Christmas traditions that are just almost, um, it's kind of just, just what our culture does. Uh, some uh, within our, our Mennonite culture, some within the culture around us. And I'm just going to give a list of them here. And I, I want to say up front, I'm not in endorsing all of them. Um, but it's just going just gonna to throw some out there. Uh, one is the Christmas story reading the Christmas story. Another one is listening to Christmas music. Christmas caroling. Family gathers, family gatherings. Uh, cookie exchanges. Food. There's some foods that you eat on Christmas Day. Gift exchanges. Decorations. One, I'll just show my ignorance here, but watch a movie. Christmas tree. Stockings hanging from the fireplace. Maybe I should have mentioned Santa Claus before that one. Um, and actually that one, stockings hanging from the fireplace, that was one that... Um, that was uh, very, uh, uh, not in my home, but going to my grandma's place, my aunt, 
um, lived with my grandma. And um, almost every year, maybe every year, I'm not sure, of my childhood, but there was a stocking hanging from the fireplace. Well, it goes through your mind there. Uh, that's a tradition that, that we have not continued for our family. So just a, a little bit of a, a statistic here. I don't have the exact number, but in 2021, between two and $300 per child, an average, would have been spent in, in the U.S. for Christmas gifts. And also uh, said an average consumer would spend between $900 and $1,000 on, on Christmas. Now, that would include more than just the gifts, but also include um, the decorations, the uh, probably parties, whatever, the festivities. And I think we all know that um, Christmas has been a very commercialized and that there's some tremendous income in retail um, over Christmas time and getting ready for it. I will just mention that I'm, I'm going to plan to open up at the end for anyone who would like to share uh, meaningful Christmas activities that you maybe, maybe you do now or maybe in your childhood or, or whatever that, that means something. Um, but anyways, uh, we'll, you can be thinking about that maybe as we go through. But back to the question, should we celebrate Christmas? I'm not going to stand here as a judge between those who feel we should and those who feel we shouldn't. Um, there are some, um, and I didn't do a lot of research on it, but I, my understanding is that it would somehow connect back with uh, maybe a, a pagan celebration back in Rome or Egypt. Um, so from that, some people would say we definitely should not celebrate Christmas. I am going to say, though, my feeling is to ignore Christmas is to ignore a tremendous story. Now, I sure hope that for Christians who do not celebrate Christmas, that they do not ignore the Christmas story. Matthew and Luke, especially Luke, tell the Christmas story. Uh, both of those Gospels do. And especially in Luke there, the miraculous conception, the lowly birth, um, just, just really brings that out. Now, on the contrary, Mark and John or I shouldn't say the contrary, but I should say Mark and John delve more directly into the ministry of Christ. So I would be slow to say we should ignore Christmas time. What are, what are Christmas traditions that fit with Anabaptist profession? couple I mentioned there, uh, the Christmas story and good Christmas music can draw our minds to Christ and to um, his coming to earth for mankind. Another one I have is Christmas caroling. 
can bless the recipients. Brother Phil mentioned about the neighbors that were just wondering when they'd come to ask. Okay, they look forward to that. And it can be a blessing, um, especially, I think, to, to elderly, to people who may not be able to get out as much, people who are lonely. And we trust that the message will stick with them. Christmas traditions that fit with Anabaptist profession. <laughs> Gifts and decorations have been accepted by some Mennonites, by many Mennonites, I would say, but not by all. And I'm going to step out on just a little bit of a limb here this morning. You can cut it off after church if you want to. But I'm going to ask... It, and this is to consider, um, do gifts and decoration draw our attention toward or away from Christ? I just, I just put that out as a question um, to consider. What are traditions that don't fit with our Anabaptist profession? Traditionally, we have taken a stand against the Christmas tree. And you may ask, what, what biblical basis do we have for that? And I, I can't find a place in the Bible that says, thou shalt not have a Christmas tree or anything like that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw your attention to and this, yeah, just for this, this um, thought here on the Christmas tree. Jeremiah chapter 10. And before, you may have heard this used in relation to the Christmas tree. Before you write it off and say that's not talking about Christmas trees, that's talking about idols, just hear me out on it. Jeremiah chapter 10. And verses 3 through through. Let's read through verse 6. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workman, with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. And I think we can relate that to, you know, cutting the tree, decorating it. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright. As the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. Forasmuch as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. So as you start reading this, you, you could get the idea that, oh, okay, I mean, you could, you could fit a Christmas tree into that. As you continue reading, um, it, it is talking about idols. So, to some, a Christmas tree is very important it, to, to have one in their house. 
But I would ask, is it possible that a Christmas tree is a type of a Christmas idol? Do we, I'm not saying for us, but is it really that important to have a Christmas tree? A Christmas tree brings the focus to gifts. The gifts are put under the Christmas tree. And the focus is brought to the gifts and down to the foot. I just had to compare that to bowing down to an idol. Okay, um, But where should our focus be? Should our focus be on the gifts? Or should our focus be on the gift? So, going from the Christmas tree, another one, uh, a tradition that does not fit with the Anabaptist profession, is Santa Claus. And I'm not going to say a whole lot about Santa Claus. I'm simply going to read something that um, I'm not even sure what the source was, um, somewhere online. It says here, Notice the characteristics of God attributed to this supernatural figure. As one, two, three, four, has seven different points here. It says, Santa is omniscient like God, knowing where every child has been, good or bad. Knowing whether every child has been good or bad. Thinking of the popular song there. Going to find out who's naughty or nice. Says Santa is omnipresent like God. He can be everywhere in the world during the same night of the year. Santa is omnipotent like God, flying through the skies with his supernatural reindeer carrying tons of toys. Santa is a moral judge like God, rewarding good little children and refusing to reward bad children. Santa is served by others like God. He has his group of little workers at his beck and call. Santa personifies love, goodwill, and giving, just like God does. And then it sums it up here. It says, Santa is revered by his worshipful subjects, a response suitable for our exalted God and creator alone. If we feed the lie of Santa to our children and they grow up and find the truth about Santa, which they will, what will they think about what we've taught them about God? So I would like to move now into Scripture. And maybe think more about um, the separation aspect of how we celebrate Christmas. I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter 19.
Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6, the Israelites had come to Mount Sinai, and in verse 3 it says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. So considering separation and distinction, verse 4 here talks about how it, it uses the, the phrase there, I bear you on eagle's wings. Israel had seen, they had been in bondage in Egypt. They saw how God had had delivered them out of Egypt. And as you think of being born on eagles' wings, think of being carried up, out, away. And God miraculously brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out of bondage into freedom. He says, now, I want you to be my peculiar treasure. I want you to be my jewels, precious to me. Think of that. Out of lowly bondage into jewels. That's what God had done for Israel. Then he says, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation coming from that bondage as slaves being carried to be a kingdom of priests to be a holy nation what a contrast and then the Israelites response in verse 8 uh, basically, my words here, they said, we want to obey what the Lord wants us to do. We see what God has done for us. We want to follow him. They didn't want to be back there with the Egyptians. Now, we know the history of Israel. We know their cycles 
disobedience to God, their return to God, their disobedience again and their return, much, much like humanity. Then in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this brings it to New Testament. And this brings, in a sense, what Israel experienced there into a spiritual light for us today, for all uh, believers. The familiar verse there, Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world. We can compare that to Egypt. Don't be conformed to what you were carried out of. But be ye transformed. Think of being distinct. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is a blessing to be able, to be privileged, to be distinct from that bondage that we were under before coming to Christ. To be in the deliverance that he gives us to. Can our response be? Is our response all that the Lord commands us to do? We want to do it. We want to be what the Lord wants us to be. As Anabaptists, our goal in observing Christmas time has been to have the focus on Christ. And because of that, we have accepted some practices and not accepted other practices in regards to Christmas observance. And I will say, I, I think some of these practices are moving among our people. Uh, one thing I think of is Christmas lights. I remember years ago, um, I probably wouldn't have been in my teens yet, but I remember going to my uncle's house and, and seeing a string of Christmas lights. And that kind of took me back as a young boy. Uh, that was something that we weren't used to in our circles, and I think it's becoming uh, more common in our, our circles. Another thing is Christmas trees. I understand that we don't need to go far. And there are Mennonites who are weak on or maybe have lost their stand on the Christmas tree. What about lavish gift giving? Um, also in my research, I wasn't necessarily... Um, Statistics, but just uh, people who would spend. Um, so I had mentioned two to three hundred dollars, and people that mentioned um, often spending five hundred dollars for a child, and sometimes even in the past have, had spent a thousand dollars per child. Now um, you don't have to do math. You don't have to be extremely gifted at math, um, fathers, to think families of five, six, seven children. Take a, take a deep breath on that one. But where is the focus when the gift giving becomes so lavish? Maybe some guiding principles as we think of Christmas time 
and our activities, I'm going to invite your attention to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. We uh, find this word peculiar in here again, and that's kind of a, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a pet word of mine that I kind of intrigues me as we um, read that in the Bible. But Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And then verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Just thinking of peculiar there, the choices that we make should look strange to the world around us. Their logic, the logic of the world around us, is not the drive of the Christian. So, for example, when the cashier asks your child if they're excited about Santa coming, or however they ask that, and your child kind of gives them a blank look, don't be ashamed. And there is an opportunity to witness, to tell them that we're thankful that Christ came and for the work that he did. Don't be ashamed if, if, uh, if your children don't connect with, with that. The other thing I want to bring out, verse 13 says, I'll just read it again, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, Brother Jay referenced the coming of Christ. Brother Matt's been preaching through Revelation and I make no apology for bringing out the second coming of Christ again today. We could hear that every Sunday, and it wouldn't be too much, because it is coming. And it's something that we as God's people should be looking forward to. At this Christmas time, are you and I looking for the return of Christ? Or are we getting caught up in the whirl of activity and the festivities, so much so that we almost don't have time, that we're missing it, that we're missing the real meaning. Christ's birth, a foreshadow, something we can look forward to of Christ coming 
to take his people home to be with him. One more passage I would like to look at yet is in 1 John chapter 2. First John 2, verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The mark of the world is identified. It's defined in the things that end in pleasure to the flesh. Pleasure to the eyes and pride. And if that is where our Christmas activities center, in what feels good and what pleases us, We've missed it. It says the world passeth away. Okay, the things that go along with the world, the system of the world, that is going to pass away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Those that stand for God Those that do the will of God are those that are going to last, those that are going to stand, those things, the things that are not of the lusts of mankind and just of the pleasures to self. All right. What are meaningful activities to you at Christmas time? Whether it's things you do now, you've done in the past, in your childhood, I'm going to open it up just for anyone to share. Serving a meal. There are lonely people around. Maybe there are people who will be alone Christmas Day. And uh, serving a meal could be a blessing. Or visiting. Another thing um, I, I just saw last evening, I think it was, or sometime recently, the Christian Aid Ministries gift catalog. So there's an opportunity to give to the truly needy. And maybe matching what you spend on Christmas gifts to those who are truly needy could be something meaningful to do. Another one I have is Choosing a Christmas character to study or to try to identify with. So, you probably have a number of things to add to the list. But if we can endeavor to bless others and ultimately bless God, we'll find meaning in this time of year. There's a lot of people who go through Christmas time and when it's over, it's over. Their spirits 
are not still lifted. They may be down in the dumps, depressed. Um, maybe they're looking at the debt they racked up because of all the spending. There's, I think in my research again, there are people who would expect to go into debt because of their Christmas spending. But if we can have the goal of blessing God and blessing others, that's a worthy goal to have any time of life. How will we spend our Christmas season this year? I hope we stop and think about it. And even the, the traditions that you just do every Christmas, you've done it for years, and it just wouldn't seem like Christmas without it. Take time and think about them. And what, what is the meaning in them? Will we stop and plan ahead so we can take the time to reflect on our Redeemer, who it's all about?